Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Before we get started, I want to let you know today's program is brought to you by the financial support of our listeners. And you can support the show at support.greatdetectives.net. Coming up next week, we'll be starting our listener support campaign. Well, we have an episode of Johnny Dollar for you. And then coming up next, or after that, we'll have an episode of Manhunt. But first of all, let's go ahead and finish off the Alder Matter. Here's part five. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Good morning, Senor Dollar. Is La Guiara Cable Office calling? We have an answer to cables you sent to Hartford, Connecticut. Good. Would you like me to read the message, Senor? No, I'm on a telephone with extensions. Oh, I see. Perhaps you prefer I have it delivered then? No, no, I don't. Then you will come in for it yourself? Yeah, just as fast as I can get there. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Caracas, Venezuela to the Home Office Worldwide Mutual Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Alder Matter. Expense account continued. At the cable office, I ran into another dead end. Vic Kelly back in Hartford had come up with absolutely nothing on either Dora Jansen, who called herself Doris Cole, or Arthur Singer, the little man she'd hurried off an incoming liner yesterday. Complete strikeout. I headed outside, caught a glimpse of Mrs. Billy Alder watching me from across the street. Social life changing, Mrs. Alder? Does being my hostess include tailing me? Does being on Laguerre Street constitute tailing you? <laughs> Preserve me from amateur detectives. Good morning, Mr. Dollar. Now, oh, come on. You rushed out of the house so fast you couldn't possibly have eaten. I'll buy you breakfast. <laughs> I knew it was curiosity that made her take me up. She just couldn't resist the thought that maybe I'd give something away, let something slip. She ate warily, tentatively. We must have looked like two boxers in a close fight sitting on the edge of their stools, waiting for the last round. The one that would decide the winner. You're staring. Thinking. You love your husband, Mrs. Alder? There'd better be a reason for a question like that. Let's stop sparring, huh? You know why I'm down here. Do I? You told me you did the other day. So I did. Now, don't be aloof, lady. You're not that much in the clear. You've been the beneficiary several times and dropped. My daughter is the present one, I believe. And what exactly is your point? 
There's been no crime committed. No crime? Somebody's bullet misses your husband by inches and you call it no crime? Thank you for breakfast. Don't forget, I saw you out on the grounds of the house searching the place that shot came from. I told you before. You knew an automatic pistol was used, admitted looking for a shell. You talk too much, Mr. Dollar. And you talk too little. Look, why have you been tailing me? It's certainly not to see that I'm protecting your husband's life. So it's obviously to make sure that I don't find out something. Now, what is it, Mrs. Alder? And why is it so terribly important I don't find out about it? If you won't leave, Mr. Dollar, I will. There's this about getting someone angry enough, fearful enough. It makes them forget about caution. Mrs. Alder never once looked back, simply headed straight for the cheap little waterfront hotel where Arthur Singer was staying. She stayed for over half an hour, and when she left, she still looked frightened. Whatever the game was, it looked like everyone was a player but me. But Mrs. Alder's move helped, started an idea gnawing at me. So I headed for Caracas in the office of a smart cop, Jefe Velasquez. I needed someone to talk to, and the Jefe was a good listener. Come, amigo, sit down. Tell me where it feels wrong, huh? Billy Alder. He does all that changing in his policy, so I assume he's scared of being knocked off. Probably by one of the people who has been named a beneficiary of the policy. So? So now I'll take the other people concerned. Alder's wife is as much a clam as her husband is. Also, she knows what kind of a gun was used to take that shot at him. Dora Jansen, a woman who uses an alias and is obviously afraid of me. Arthur Singer, a little man Dora has hidden in a waterfront hotel. And now I find Alder's wife knows about the little man, too. Conclusion, amigo? That the three of them are in on something together. But not to kill Alder for that policy. His daughter gets it all. Yet Alder is afraid. And I think he's scared of something the others know. Now, suppose that shot wasn't meant to kill him, just frighten him. A sign that somebody meant business. That is a nice piece of logic. Yeah. Now all I gotta do is make it work. Look, Hefe, whatever this deal is, nobody's gonna make a move till I'm out of here. So? So, good, bad, or indifferent, I'm going to do a little acting. I stayed with Velasquez another half hour, setting things up as best I could. Then I drove to the airport and paid item 11, $309.80 for a plane ticket marked Hartford, Connecticut. Sure, it was an expensive prop, but this was one act I had to be convincing in. I drove back to Caracas, pasted a real angry look on my face, marched into Billy Alder's sumptuous office and threw the airline ticket on his desk. He studied it for a long minute. What does this mean, Dollar? That I've had all of you I can take, Alder. You and your keep me alive. You are going back to the States? You can read. The ticket says Hartford, Connecticut. It also says the six o'clock plane, because there's nothing earlier. But, but why? Why, Dollar? So I can get back and make my recommendations to the insurance company. You know what I'm going to recommend, Alder. Now, please, wait. That they cancel your policy because of your refusal to cooperate. Sorry, Alder. Dollar, please. Now, don't do it. I beg There's you. There's a clause in that policy. I don't care about that policy. Now, don't you understand? Understand what? Listen to me. All that changing of beneficiaries. I only did that to make them send someone down here. I need protection. Against what? I... I'm in a jam. All I want is protection until... until it's peacefully settled. Do you understand? No, plainer. I know someone wants to kill me over a business deal. I'm asking you to see that I stay alive until I have time to... to reason with this man. Who is he? I, I can't tell you. Well, let me tell you something. He's just arrived in town. How did you... Now, don't you see, Mr. Dollar? You must stay. Sorry. Goodbye, Mr. Alder. Mm-hmm. 
I went back to the Alder house, packed my bag, and said my goodbyes. Neither Mrs. Alder nor Dora Jansen wept. I drove to the airport, checked my luggage in. Then I slipped away, drove back to Caracas the long way. A half hour later, I checked into a little side street hotel where Jefe Velasquez had reserved a room for me. Then came the hardest part, the waiting. That six o'clock plane must have been way out over the Caribbean when the call finally came. Uh, yeah? Velasquez here. You tired of waiting? Oh, brother, you know it. Look, Jefe, your men check in. Maybe I should have taken part of the work. Be patient, amigo. Your whole idea depends on the thinking you took that plane. You must stay right where you are. But uh, what about your men? Have I they... I get a call every couple minutes, amigo. Alder, his wife, the Dora Johnson, uh, Arthur Singer. I can tell you every move they make in the last three hours. But they haven't made the one I'm waiting for, huh? You will know it three minutes after they make it. If they make it. Thanks, F.A. Five minutes later, Velasquez called again. He took only enough time to tell me he was on his way and to be down on the street in two minutes. I was. I only beat him by seconds. Come on, amigo. Well? It looked like your plan worked, Juanito, this uh, Dora Johnson. Yeah? As soon as she learned your plane left, the one you did not take, she rushed to the waterfront hotel, pick up the Arthur Singer. Then the two of them rushed to the Alder house. And? Alder must have seen him coming because he jumped in his car and raced out in the direction of his oil village, Caranero. They see him and follow him. That's where we headed for. Then we better get things going, get there before Singer kills Alder. I don't know whether or not he deserves killing, but I know one thing. It'll cost my company a quarter of a million bucks. Velasquez's men were plenty good. Halfway to Caranero, one of them flagged us down, told us both cars had definitely passed his way. And when we reached the oil field, another one waited at the gate. He told us Billy Alder, Dora Jansen, and Arthur Singer were in a little work shack across the field. We left the car and moved as quietly as we could toward the shack. It was a weird feeling. In every direction, you could see the great oil rigs working, pumping, ignoring us. We reached the shack, peered cautiously through the window. An even weirder scene was taking place. An almost hysterical Dora Jansen pointed a luger at a sweating Billy Alder. A terrified Arthur Singer pleaded with her. Their words pushed easily through the thin wooden slat. Dora, don't, please don't do it. You'll only make things worse. Your brother's right, Dora. Dora, listen to me. Like he listened to you four years ago. What did it get him, Mr. Fancy Promoter? Tell me that. I'll make it right with him. A quiet gentleman. A bookkeeper who never did anything wrong in his life. Until you sold him a bill of goods. Now listen to me, both of you. So he rigged your books for you. Made false entries. Made it look like he was responsible for the bankruptcy. And he did the three years in prison that you should have done. For a hundred thousand dollars... That was the deal. And believe me, I'm not trying to cheat him. The money is tied up in my business. I need time, but I'll pay him. Pay him? It's been a year since he came out of jail. You'll never pay. You'll try to cheat him out of the money one way or another. I swear to you, Dora. It's a lot easier to kill him than pay him, isn't it? Oh, you're crazy. Is that why you kept the Luger in the house? Were you worried when he disappeared? When I shot at you to let you know I meant business? Think what you're doing. Dollar knows all about this. Oh, yes. Your bodyguard must have gotten frightened after I had him beat up the other day. He's on his way to the States in a plane. Dora! No! I'm going to kill you. No! Come on. <laughs> Put it down, Dora. You pull that trigger and he'll still come out the winner. No! Senorita, do not make me fire, please. I don't care. As long as he gets what he deserves. Stand back! Senorita! For a split second, she wavered. 
Then the hate took over. Aldous sank to the floor, disbelief on his face. Panicked, she raced out into the night, and I went after her. Dora! No! Dora, hold it! No! There's no place to go! Dora! What happened to her, Johnny? She panicked, turned to scream at me, and ran right into one of the protection fences around the derrick. She just passed out. She'll come around. How's Alder? Conscious, but I do not know. We better get him to the hospital. Yeah, come on. She didn't mean to shoot him, mister. My sister wouldn't hurt anyone. Sure, sure. Go take care of her. She was only doing it for me. For me, mister. Alder? Uh, I... I would have paid. I wasn't going to cheat him... Hmm? Oh, Dollar, you know? Yeah, we heard it all. I'm glad it's over. The worrying. Want to tell me one thing, Alder? Your wife, where does she fit? She had nothing to do with it. Just knew about it. I wasn't too nice to her for a long time. Other women, her running around, just a way of punishing me, paying me back. She knew I couldn't afford complain. Yeah. Wish you'd have told me a long time ago, Alder. I couldn't. Case could always be reopened. I, I, I couldn't face that. Would have hurt too much. Oh, yeah. But it wouldn't have hurt as much as that bullet. Expense account total, $833.14. Details. Billy Alder was rushed to the Caracas Hospital, underwent some excellent surgery, and uh, relaxed claims department. He's going to make it. As for his shady business tactics, well, that's out of my bailiwick. That's for the law boys. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here's our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, a quiet cabin by a quiet lake, a place ideal for romance and ideal for murder. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Tony Barrett. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Gil Stratton, Harry Bartell, Barbara Fuller, John Daner, Virginia Gregg, Don Diamond, Vivi Janis, and Tony Barrett. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking. Welcome back. Well, on the bright side, uh, Johnny's uh, 
plan helped him break the case. On the downside, uh, the insured almost got killed. To be fair to Johnny, he really was not left with much choice. He had to try uh, something there with everything uh, dead-ended. This really just illustrates Johnny's determination to get things taken care of, not to leave things uh, unresolved. And really, that was best for Mr. Alder, because... Uh, from a business perspective, probably what he should have done is just stayed there long enough to get a response from a wire requesting to have the policy canceled due to non-cooperation. All right, well, now we're going to talk about Manhunt and its star, Larry Haynes. Uh, this was one of Haynes' early uh, radio uh, performances, the earliest uh, uh, performance in existence uh, was from Gangbusters in 1942, so this was just about a year after that. His career on radio was good, a lot of character roles in programs like Words at War and uh, Inner Sanctum, uh, Columbia Workshop, The Shadow. Uh, we, heard, we heard him earlier this season on uh, The Amazing Mr. Malone, uh, doing a great job as Lieutenant Brooks in the 1951 summer replacement version. He also had some pretty uh, good parts in the 1950s, and I think we'll still hear him later on this season in one of my uh, favorite short uh, detective series, Easy Money. And he also played uh, Mike Hammer, was one of the voices of Mike Hammer, on uh, that hammer guy, which we'll eventually get around to playing. Of course, his big uh, claim to fame was through uh, television, where um, he uh, uh, joined the cast of Search for Tomorrow in the 11th episode of the series, playing the role of Stu Bergman. And he stayed with the series until it went off the air in 1986. So 35 years uh he picked up two Daytime Emmy Awards for Best Supporting Actor on a Daytime Drama Series and was First Lady Pat Nixon's favorite soap actor. Now let's uh, see Larry Haynes at work in this episode of Manhunt. This is the second episode, and it's called The Crystal Clue. Manhunt. The story of the crystal clue that led to Manhunt. No crime has been committed yet. No murder has been done yet. No manhunt has begun yet. <laughs> Hello, Jay Richard Dyson speaking. That you, Tom? No. Oh, Well, who are you and what do you want? Calling me on my private phone. Who will find the clue? 
Who will start the manhunt? Manhunt and the crystal clue. All right, John, lad. Tell me exactly what happened now. Well, there's nothing to tell, Mr. Morton. About 20 minutes ago, I came here to Mr. Darcy's apartment with some work that he wanted me to bring him here. He was going to a theater. He had told me and he wouldn't be home till midnight. I found him like this and I told him. Just you and Hart. Any idea who might have done it, Johnny Boy? No, I don't know, Mr. Morton. I'd better call me Sergeant Boyd in this case, didn't All right. But I, I still have no idea who did it. Of course, we were working on an important formula for the War Department, and they were threatening phone calls, but we never paid any attention to them. I wish we had. I'm going to trace this rotten murderer down if it's the last thing I do. It's a dust. He was very close to you, wasn't he, As close as a man could be. He took me to school, gave me a chance in his firm to get everything from me. Oh, they all never know what I say, huh? Eh? Another new one, he says. It's a murder, if that's what you mean, Drew. J. Richard Darcy, a millionaire. This is John Gordon, his assistant. He found the body and reported the murder. Johnny, this is Drew Stevens from the police laboratory. And uh, Pat O'Connor, that's what And Pat O'Connor. How do you do? How do you do? Uh, little detective. Not a thing. Medical examiner was here, found the bullet wound, fixed the time of death at 8 o'clock, and left. That's all. Huh? Not sure about the time? Yes. Maybe five minutes either way. Say, uh, you worked for Mr. Darcy, Gordon? Yes, I did. I, I guess I more than worked for him. You see, he had practically adopted me. I don't want to appear too much like a detective, Gordon. A questioning suspect is exactly in my line, but where were you at 8 o'clock? You don't have to worry about him. I've known Johnny for years, you. And he's got a full proof alibi. Yes? What is it? What is it? Well, from 7.30 to a quarter of 10, my son Bill Jr. and John Gordon were visiting me down at police headquarters. You know, Pat, as you can in the room, it's that squabble more to the back of removal of the body. No, what are you looking for? Half of Darcy's watch sister, for one thing. It's still on the watch. It's broken and fell down. You can't find the other half or any of the pieces that it's dead. Oh, well, I'll... Well, what would a watch sister have to do with a murder? I don't know, Pat. Quiet, I'm going to check over the murder. Hmm. He told us Gordon went to school with Young Bill at the state tech and was known for years. But Gordon said he's been heard Darcy's estate of school. Hmm. Well, the suspect. Yes, and he's good looking, too. I'll tell him to go and commit a murder just to please you, but <laughs> he didn't commit this one. Darcy was shot at 8 o'clock. Then Gordon was down at headquarters with Bill. But he didn't leave except maybe for a minute and three hours. Yes, I know. So what about those foreigners that Gordon said threatened Darcy unless he turned over his formula to them? Well, I'll run up to the FBI in the morning and see if the files on them and the agents in this area. How about that crazy inventor, Richard Martin? Well, I'll see him, too. Uh-oh, got that. Hey, Pat, did the medical examiner tell Bill Morton that Darcy was shot at 8 o'clock? Mm, I think so. At least he set the time of death at 8 o'clock. Um, yeah, Bill said that. Yeah. He was dead at 8 o'clock, but I wonder what time he was shot. Blooded all around the wound. It means only one thing. Darcy was already dead when the bullet was fired into his skull. <laughs> Mr. Morton, Richard Morton, the inventor? I'm, uh... Who are you? My name's Stevens. 
Now, now you. Go away. Uh, may I come in a minute, sir? I'd like to ask you a Don't know any answers. Now go away, young fella. Uh, Mr. Martin, you knew Jay Richard Darcy, I understand. Darcy? Uh-huh. Yes, I knew him. I read in the paper this morning he was dead. I killed him, you know. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Every night for the past ten years, I've killed Jay Richard Darcy. Only he was plain Joe Darcy when he stole my formula and disappeared. You killed him every night? Every night. Sometimes I'd strangle him, sometimes I'd poison him, and sometimes I'd hang him and watch him suffer. Well, did you by any chance happen to kill him last night? Something young fellow. Don't remember whether I killed Darcy last night or not. Oh, hello, Gordon. Sorry to get you down here, but there are several things I've got to know. Oh, I don't mind coming, Mr. Stevens. I'll do anything I can for that. Thanks. Now, first, did Mr. Darcy really steal the Richard Martin formula? Off the record? Yes. Darcy was Martin's partner when Martin discovered the formula. He did take it, but he set up a trust fund in the event of his death that would turn over a lot of money to Martin. Mm-hmm. He never would give Martin any real money while he was alive because, well, you'd probably know Martin's mental condition. He couldn't have held on to it. Then Martin would be a rich man if Darcy died, is it? You mean, did he know about the trust fund? Yes. Uh, just one more thing, Gordon. Just what are you making with the transfer? Well, it's for the War Department, and I can't tell you. Orders, you mean? Well, I appreciate your attitude, Gordon. Thank you. I'll call you if I need you. All right. Oh, and will you send me a phone in if you need to? Yes, sir. Hello, operator. Connect me with the medical examiner, please. Yes, I will. Oh, hi, Pat. Good Okay, what? Yes, I want you to be quiet a minute. Oh, hello, Doc. Bruce Stevens. Say, Doc, you did an autopsy on Darcy, didn't you? Yes. Good. Now, what did he die of, Doc? Oh, is that so? Well, this is all starting to make sense now. Thanks a lot, Doc. Bye. So now you know what Darcy died of. So what? So this. I also happen to know who killed him. You know how I know? I know because one half of a watch bristle is missing. That patient's sound in the cell downstairs. Okay. He's only stopped from here to China. Good to know he's got a murderer right there. We can put our hands on him. Well, you've got that at home. Thanks for calling me down, Stevens. I wanted to be in this thing at the finish. How did you know we killed Darcy, do? Well, first of all, we know that Darcy was killed at 8 o'clock. But shot sometime after that. Why shoot a man after he's dead? Perhaps it was the person who fired the shot didn't know Darcy was already dead. Can't be. Shot was fired, and the body was on the floor. Right. Shooting is just to mislead the police. Now, the medical examiner's report showed that Darcy had been gassed at Poison gas, that. It was poison gas your firm was making, wasn't it, Gordon? You can tell me now. Oh, yes, it was. It's from the original Richard Martin formula. But it's just as right, Philip. Man steals the formula and is murdered with it. Well, the gas killed Darcy, and then the murderer came back later to make sure of it. Shoot him, and then asked the apartment. He could have done that all at once. Oh, no, he couldn't. You see, when Darcy was gassed, the murderer was nowhere around. Uh, he murdered Darcy and he wasn't in the room? You, you're overworked. No, I don't think so. How about the what? I'm coming to that, Pat. The murderer had obtained a little poisonous gas and enclosed it in some kind of a thin glass of him. That's very interesting. Yes, the whole case is Anyhow, he went to Darcy's apartment sometime during the afternoon of the murder and inserted the glass container in the telephone box between the hammer and the bell. Now, a phone call would cause the hammer to hit the glass and break it, unloosing the gas. That's what happened. That's how Darcy died with the murderer taking himself safe miles away. Well, I'll be shot. Yeah, I know, I know, the watch. 
Well, the killer came back to Dawson's apartment later, but not only to shoot him and air out the room, but also to remove the tiny fragments of glass from the gas container broken by the phone book. But he picked up one piece of glass too many. The one that had been on Dawson's wristwatch had been smashed when he fell. Piece of quickly missing as the first two I had. Later, when I learned about the poison gas on that set. How do you like that? The guy committed murder over the telephone. Yes, and darn near a crime, Dad. I still don't see how you need a good good morning as a kid. You never said morning, say, Dawson. All I said was I wanted him placed in custody for his own protection. You see, I had a hunch the killer would come for him next. You mean Martin's not the killer? Oh, hold it a minute, Dad. This is what our case all down to. The murderer had to have a motive. That's first of all. Then he had to have access to three things. Which were? Which were the poison gas, the Darcy apartment, and Darcy's private telephone number. Because the call that killed Darcy came over that phone. Only one person could fill that entire picture. Because neither Martin nor any foreign agent could possibly get Darcy's private phone number. That's why the murderer had to be you, John Gordon. Let's be smart, copper. Now you're going to be sorry. Hi, plug him, Bill. He's coming through, you can lock him up. An awful shot, Steve. I've been running for years. Didn't reason me for an alibi. I knew a homicide detective. Hmm, you were so handsome, too. Wait a minute. Hello. Yes, speaking. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes? Yes. Okay. You better get rid of this John Gordon. Get work to do. Alice Jennison, the scandal columnist on the Globe, has just been found in quite a scandalous position herself. She's lying in the gutter on a side street in the slums, and gee, her throat is cut from ear to ear. Welcome back. Actually, I thought that was a pretty clever uh, method. Um, th- there were probably a couple things that could have gone wrong, but were unlikely. So it made sense, and uh only thing was that... Once the how was discovered, the who was pretty easy. All right, well, that will do it for today. Join us back here on uh, Monday for another episode of Johnny Dollar. Friday, we'll have another episode of Manhunt for you. And coming up tomorrow, uh, it's the lineup. If you have a comment, send it to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter, Radio Detectives. And uh, become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.